This is the Basketball Coaches Roundtable Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Newman. Today, we welcome Elliot Steinmetz as the guest of the roundtable. Coach Steinmetz is the head coach of Yeshiva University. Coach Steinmetz, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, let me um, introduce who's sitting with you at, at the round table. You have uh, Coach L. Green. She's the head boys coach at, at BCAM High School, and she's a 2014 PSAL champion, 2018 runner-up. And you have uh, Coach Mark Skelton. He's the head boys coach at Fannie Lou Hamer Freedom High School in the Bronx and the author of the book, Pounding the Rock, Basketball Dreams in Real Life in a Bronx High School. Um, so like I, like I just said, we're going to, we're going to come hit you with some questions and uh, really looking forward to this conversation today. Yeah, me too. So um, first, again, congratulations with all the success that's coming your way. Right now, it's, um, it's well-deserved. You, um, you have the longest winning streak right now in, in the country. You're currently ranked number three. Um, and so what I, what I want to know is do people still or do they – give you like a skewed eye when it's yeshiva you know when, when every they're they're looking at everything and it's you, you know wow yeshiva university is doing all this yeah so it's it, it was always like that i think uh you know from the time i started um and uh it's you know we we talk about it everyone likes to talk about an underdog story i i hate that i'm not a fan of it at all um, you know, we, we had CNN at practice the other day and they were asking us about the little engine that could and shaking my head as he's asking the question and, uh, and he's like, what, what's, what's the problem? I'm like, we're, we're not the little engine that could, this is not an underdog. Story. Like, you know, March madness starts tonight. Right. So, so there's uh, there's a bunch of college games on and there's, you know, low seeds playing high seeds and everybody loves to root for the underdog. I love to root for the underdog. I just don't want to be the underdog. I want, I want to be the favorite every day of the week. Give me the best players. You know, it, I'd love to do the best job recruiting. It makes my job coaching easier. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it's, I guess maybe it's the stereotypes and maybe it's, you know, the history of the university you know, in terms of, you know, athletics and basketball and, and, and all that stuff. But um, I, I think over the last few years, we've started to get consistent uh, in, our, in our ability to compete at a high level. Um, I'm not going to go and call us a national power by any stretch. You know, there's, there's a lot of schools that, that could say that we're, we're not one of them. Um, but I think we're on the national stage and, and I think we're on our, on our way if we can stay consistently on the national stage to maybe eventually becoming a national power. Um, so, you know, the hope is that we're blowing those stereotypes and those, and those kind of uh, characterizations, um, you know, out of the water a little bit, you know, where, where people are no longer looking at it and saying, holy cow, I can't believe Yeshiva is doing this. Or every time a couple of Jews win a basketball game, the press has to show up at practice, you know. So it's, it's one of those things where uh, we're, we're hoping we're doing a good job kind of getting rid of that. No, I think you are. But, it, you know, just now it seems, I guess, with, with the win streak and you're getting the, the notoriety, but Yeshiva has always had a strong program. Yes. You know, uh, you know, um, just being we're all we're you know, everybody here is from New York. You know, I used to use, live a couple blocks away from Yeshiva. Mark lives a couple blocks away from Yeshiva. You know, and like we know about the program and it's a strong program. And so, you know, I think it's great that you're getting the attention now. And but it, it to me, it seems like it's coming from this skewed angle, like you were saying, that underdog angle. But you've always had the, the program there. 
Yeah, I think the program has always been somewhat strong, and 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 I think I think I think part of the reason is, um, you know, when when there was success, people kind of looked at it with with you know, a little bit of like you said, a little bit of a skewed view, and a little bit of a, oh, you know, she was having success. They, they you know then then it, then it was like it was news. You know, if we were if we were mediocre, then that was you know a great goal to attain. And and I think what we've done, you know, with the players that we've brought in, and they and they've kind of shared that mentality was we've tried to raise that goal for mediocrity, obviously to really you know something something much greater and um you know it, it starts that all over again obviously because you start to attain those goals and you start to get there and people are like wow yeshiva is doing that um which is great you know now, now now the goal is to kind of make it you know commonplace where you know the new york times doesn't feel like they got to show up when we win a conference championship you know we're uh you know we're not you know it, you know the way the way they talk about uh, an illinois wesleyan or or a wheaton or, or a program like that in the midwest where they're you know in the final four you know every few years or and certainly in the tournament almost every year uh that's the goal you know we're not there yet but that's the goal we want to get to yeah absolutely and so um i want to pass it over to someone else who knows a little bit about the new york times coming to their practice mark skeleton i'm sure <laughs> ben's referring to a, a 2016 article about my team but um coach nice to meet you so i i guess uh it seems like you know well, what, you had CNN, you had an ABC, uh, USA Today article on, on uh, you know, yesterday came out, and now you're at the round table. So, you know, I think you peaked. This is, this is the big one. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> so, it, but, it, you know, what's, what's interesting um, about most of, you know, your press is always about your offense. And, you know, we watched the Slap in the Glass episode, which was fantastic. And there's a clip in there where you said, Nobody actually wants to hear about our defense. Now, <clears throat> you know, your games, you know, uh, are on YouTube. I highly recommend who's ever listening to watch. Nobody gets in the paint on you guys. If anyone drives baseline, your help defense is two or three feet outside <laughs> before anyone can do, uh, you know, even try to lift off. Um, so uh, would you mind talking a little bit about your man-to-man your, your -man defense? I would love to coach and I, and I appreciate you bringing it up because I don't get the opportunity to uh, very often. And, and yeah, the, you know, the guys at Slapping Glass, they did a great job with that and they really broke down our stuff really, really well to a point where I actually sent it to our players this year before the season when we couldn't have practices mm -hmm. just to give them an opportunity to kind of learn stuff. But I, but I agree. And, you know, what, what, and what I said to them is the same thing I'll say here is, you know, everyone likes to look at the, uh, at the tournament last year and, and, you know, yeah, our offense was great and we ran smooth, but, got some pretty damn good guys who can who can really shoot it and and they got hot at the same time so it was you know it was just one of those perfect storms where we were playing our best ball uh you know, at the end of the year but what people don't often talk about and don't realize is our, our defense in those games was was just so good and you know we, we had scout and we executed and we we held guys to the point totals we wanted to um but it's something that we work really hard on and it's and it's nice to hear a, a fellow coach who's actually watching the games who says good things about it because you know my job is when i watch the film over i'm looking at it and i'm like oh we did not get out deep enough or or we're not quick enough outside you know from the weak side getting over and to help um, but it is stuff that we would be drilling. Well, I, drill you constantly. haven't had anyone scoreless yet. Yeah, no, but absolutely, you know, <laughs> right. But you know, you know how it is. That's always the goal. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, it's something that we drill and, and we take very, very seriously at practice. We spend a lot of time on it. Um, you know, we, 
we, we do a lot of uh, odd man drills where we'll have, you know, whether it's four on five, five on six, we'll, we'll run, uh, we'll run a drill where we'll put our, uh, where put our defense on for, for eight minutes um, with 30 seconds on the, on the shot clock. Uh, and any, and they got to try to basically defend down to zero, but any open shot, any made shot, uh, any offensive rebound restarts that 30 seconds. And we want to see kind of how many 30 second possessions they can clear defensively within that eight minutes. We do a lot of stuff that really, really challenges them to, to, you know, to kind of perform defensively. Um, then obviously that's on top of, you know, different breakdown drills in terms of our, you know, helping them cover down and secondary help and all that stuff. No, I think it's, it's, it's fantastic. And I guess, um, you know, take, uh, take a team like, um, New Jersey City University. Um, usually, I feel like they have, you know, two or three guys who have touched Division One and then transfer in, um, and usually very athletic. And um, that's a great game for people to watch because they're the team that thinks they're going to blow you out of the gym because they're going to press you. Right. And your press offense is again one of the reasons why I think you're so successful because you guys just the press never bothers you. What, what's the, what's the secret there? So, so it's, it's, it's no big secret. I mean, we, we, we actually, we enjoy getting pressed. There's no doubt. I, I go to sleep at night before a game, hoping a team's going to press us. And I think we have some pretty smart guys. Um, we're not doing anything special. We, we try to, you know, almost tailor it like a football game. Um, you know, uh, when, when, when you have a quarterback in trouble, what do you always tell the receiver? You know, cross his path of vision. Mm-hmm. Um, so we teach our guys path of vision cuts. Uh, what we want, we basically have, you know, very, very simple setup. You know, we'll have two guys kind of setting up next to each other, um, you know, a little bit above the top of the key, basically. First guy is, uh, is just, it's, it's all about cutting to space. So our first guy is cutting into space. Second guy's got to read. If our first guy catches the ball, then after that just becomes path of vision cut. So we want, obviously, our inbounder to start to kind of leak up the sideline. Uh, you know, the second guy is going to kind of, we want just to cross our guy's path of vision. Um, and all we will drill and really there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no set to it. There's nothing else to it. It's, it's kind of based off the same theories of of motion. We want to cut to space. So we want our guys to read the floor. We want them to understand spacing, but we want them to always treat the ball handler like a quarterback who's in trouble and cross his path of vision. Um, and we've, we've found that, uh, putting that in, 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 even in two practices, um, it'll end up being successful in the game. And, and yeah, you're right. And, and JCU, uh, very athletic, very talented team. Um, and it was something that I thought helped us in that game when they pressed us because it kind of allowed us to set pace in that game. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I, if you haven't realized, I've, I've been watching you guys for a while. Um, and I started bringing some friends to games because I think in 2018, or actually 2017, you played Williams and you played them close at their place. And so the following year, you know, they, they came to the Washington Heights and, um, that's a great game uh, uh, for many reasons. I think they were third in the nation and you guys just held your own. And I, at that point, I, I think, you know, a few of us actually started really paying attention to you guys. Cause that, um, that game kind of, uh, we just absolutely loved. So as a, like a bunch of coaches and, and we just talk about it. So. No, I appreciate that. They're, they're tough. I mean, coach app has those guys every year kind of right there. Um, yeah, they came to our place and, and I think it ended up being like a 19 point loss, but uh, like you said, if you watch the game, I think it was about a three point game with four or five minutes left. And we just, you know, we kind of ran out of gas and, you know, the depth that those guys have and the NESCAC and the size and, and, the, and the way they bang and the physicality and all that stuff is, is kind of unbelievable. So it was, it was really, uh, you know, just very, very 
I, you know, it, it, was, it was a very good experience for our guys to kind of hold their own for 35 minutes in that situation when we felt like we were not, you know, we were, we, we were, we were the underdog there. <laughs> I think they had, they started 6'10", 6'10", 6'8", 6'7". So it, it was, you know, it was a phenomenal game. So, uh, so I guess I, I can't hold up the round table. As the <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, Mark and I do go back a bunch um, about your games. So, you know, it's, it's really great to, to have you here and actually get from, from the coach. I want to I pass it over to uh, Coach Green from BCAM High School. I don't know if I have to ask anything else. Um, <laughs> my question is, from your beginning of coaching to now, and your, what has changed about your pedagogy, the way you teach it, and what has made your uh, coaching style different but, like, refined in a way? So I, I think I think I matured a lot as a coach. I, I I think the most important thing about being a coach is is recognizing that you're learning every day, um, and that you know just like your players are supposed to be getting better every day, as a coach you're supposed to be getting better every day. Um, you know I've never been afraid to ask questions. I've I've never been a guy who thinks he knows it all. And you know to this day, and we're having some success, which is great. Um, I got people I call all the time to ask for advice, ask what we could be doing better. You know, ask for criticism. Um, and, and I think that's an extremely important thing for, for any coach of any sport at any level. Um, if you're going to do the best that you're going to do for your athletes, then, then you're going to be forcing yourself to get better every day. Um, I started off when I was coaching high school, I was very much a control guy and I, you know, I, I, almost like a puppeteer, you know, I was calling every single play. Um, every play was designed for a specific thing to happen at the end of that play. Um, and you know, what, what I ended up with was kind of like these 48 to 45 basketball games at the high school varsity level. And it was, you know, we defended, which was great, but it was so few possessions and everything was so prescribed and it was, if anything, kind of boring. And I think it was my, I want to say my third year or fourth year coaching at the high school level, my team went, went undefeated the same year the Patriots did it actually, we went undefeated and we lost in our championship and we didn't just lose. We got run off the floor. Um, and we had been beating everybody all year, like 48, 46, 48, 42, and, and that. And all of a sudden, we ran into a team that was just better and, and, and bigger, and they, were, and they were moving up and down the floor, and, and we just couldn't keep pace with them. And I remember after that game, like, I waited about a month, and then I called up that coach. Um, and I asked him to kind of tell me what he was doing, what I was doing, and what, you know, what he thinks we could do differently. And this was, again, I, I, we were 25-0. and 0, and then in 25 and one, and I changed everything after that year. The following year, uh, we ended up winning a championship in our league. Um, you know, and uh, we had changed our whole style. We were scoring 65 a game instead of 45 a game, and and kind of, you know, was starting to evolve. And I was still calling plays, and but I was a little bit more putting in some sets as opposed to just actual like quick hitter after quick hitter. Um, but once I got to the college game, I would say I tried to I tried to coach at Yeshiva the first two years the same way. Um, where I was kind of in control and, and, and again, like, you know, acting like my players were puppets and trying to put them where I wanted them. And what I found at the college level was the coaching was so much more advanced. And, and every night you would go out there and you'd try to run a play that you ran the night before. And everybody knew what was coming because they scout and they do film work and they're, they know what your players' tendencies are. They know where you want to catch the ball. They know exactly where that play is going to end. So I called up, I called up a, a coaching mentor of mine actually in, in Baltimore and, uh, and I asked him for advice and he sent me a, he sent me a book on, on Bobby Knight's motion offense. 
Um, and I spent an entire off season studying, watching film, uh, speaking to him, doing FaceTime sessions, you know, you know, watching as much as I could of Calvert Chaney and, 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 as, you know, and those old Bobby Knight teams. And then I, and I put it in. Um, and in the first year we put it in, we had a lot of success with it. And obviously it was still in infant stages, but by, you know, by the time we hit year two, year three, year four, it's just continued to kind of evolve. And, and what I found as a coach is I've become way more trusting of my players. Um, I, you know, I'm no longer, I, we, we don't call, we didn't call it, we didn't call a single play the entire season this year. There was not a single play that was called from the sideline this entire season. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and the same goes for, for pretty much the last three or four seasons. And, you know, we kind of, we give our guys their principles. We give them, um, what our spacing is. We, we, we drill our cuts, we drill our screens. We talk about the concepts of, of selflessness and, and ball reversal and, and how we want to approach the game and how we want to approach, you know, what, what the defense is, is giving us or what they're trying to take away. And then we kind of let our ball players be ball players. Um, and you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a little bit of a humbling experience as, as a, as a coach, obviously to kind of let go and find out that your team is better a little bit without you. Um, but I'd rather win every day. So it's, uh, it's been working. Thank you. Yeah, I, I get that. Playing Mark um, the year before, uh, I think his first championship, we went up there and I thought I um, coached too much. I think that's what you were trying to say. And I had some really good athletes. And um, when I got home, I, I kicked myself. Like, they were the better team. You know, they were on their way to champions. But that next year, I tried not to coach so much. And it was a really good game because Mark is a great coach. But that taught me, like, sometimes you got to just shut up and sit back and watch it. Yeah, I mean, look, I, we, we have probably, you know, two or three of the best players that have played at our school in, in its history. And, uh, you know, they, they are definitely better players than I am a coach. So, so you know, I, I can, I'm there, my, the way I look at it is it's their program. I'm there to kind of guide them, assist them and try to give them as much support as I can uh, to be successful. Uh, and that's, you know, and that's what we try to do at practice every day is just kind of give them that, you know, as much rope as we can to get, you know, to allow them to be successful. Um, and, you know, look, part of it's them having the maturity and the discipline to kind of handle those things uh, and, and be able to kind of go out and compete and not need that, you know, not need as much structure. Um, there, there are plenty of times where we have to pull it back. You know, there, we started off, I think it was two years ago, we started off the season uh, coming off of a, of a Skyline championship, bringing back most of our team and adding Ryan Terrell, who's now, you know, a first team All-American. And we're sitting at one and five the first six games of the season were one and five. And there was no reason that that team should have been one and five. And I had probably let go a little bit too much specifically on the defensive side. We were not getting any stops. Um, you know, and after that, after that kind of fifth loss, I, you know, we went to practice and I told the guys, you know, uh, you know, last season's over, everybody's done patting you on the back, you know, now it's time to get back to work. And, and we kind of, we changed our mentality as coaches, but what happens is as that year goes on and they kind of buy into what we're doing on the defensive side and they see that discipline, you're able to let go again. That's great. Thank and, you. And I, and I think one of the things that stood out to me when you were just talking is how you called the coach that just beat you, you know, and just to get that reflection. Um, I think there's too much that I see in, in the high school realm that we're in. It's that everyone's going to keep it close to the vest, you know, and it's like, you know, they're not willing to share the game as much as say myself or, or coach green or coach Skelton are, you know, and to help each other out. And, um, but, but that's great that you, you know, just to think about that. And it's like, this guy beat me. I need to know, cause that's going to help you 
help the kids and, you know, and yourself get better. Uh, I'm a big believer in that execution at the end of the execution when game wins games. Um, I've had coaches from my conference, you know, call me up kind of like nervous to ask me to teach them our offense. Um, I've had them come to my office and I've sat with them for two hours and gone through everything we run offensively. At the end of the day, if my guys are going to execute it better than their guys, we're going to win the game. Um, when I was coaching at high school level, I remember I had a team, um, the year that we won that championship, we, you know, we, we happened to have been a very good team. We had a, we had a six, five kid in the middle who had broken his hand, punching a wall at the beginning of the season. So we kind of like floated through the season at 500 and, you know, we were kind of waiting for him to come back and it allowed our juniors to, well, one of our juniors ended up being a superstar in college, but he kind of allowed him to kind of come into his own. Um, and, uh, you know, we went into the, into the playoffs. We were, we were, I think the nine seed in the playoffs, we were playing the two seed, I think in the second round. And, um, we were going to their gym and their coach, their coach happens to be a close personal friend of mine. We know each other from, for, for years. And, uh, you know, he was, he was saying to me, uh, before the game, he's like, I don't know, I'm trying to prepare for you. If you guys press, I'm trying to prepare for, if you guys are going to run this or that. I, I said to him, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to send you an email tonight with my playbook. I'm going to tell you exactly what we're going to do in the game. I said, and then we're going to beat you by 20 points because we're 20 points better than you guys. You know, we, they happen to be the two seed because we didn't have this kid the whole year. I literally sent him an email that night. So we're going to, we're going to open up in a press. We're going to open up in a one, two, two. We're going to, we're going to play man to man defensively. We'll probably switch at some point into one, three, one, you know, and, and offensively, here's where we try to get the ball. So he's like, I can't believe you're doing that. And this and that he's like, you're trying to trick me. I said, I promise you. That is what we're doing. If my guys execute, we're going to beat you. And if your guys execute, you're going to beat me. I think the final score was like 72-34 or something like that. We just destroyed them. But, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's about the – especially at this level, this is – at least not me, but none of us have coached professional basketball. This is not a, a money-making situation. This is not where, like, uh, you know, where we're talking about pros and endorsements and all that. This is about advancement of the game and advancement of the student-athlete, whether it's the high school level, the college level, the middle school level. It's not about anything except for their advancement. Like, I'm not, I'm not looking for the next job. Like I love where I am. I'm, I'm not even a full-time coach. I'm, I'm at my law firm every day. And you know, till it, now I just walked in the door and threw on a t-shirt so that I don't look like I'm coming in from work. You know, it's about advancement of, of the student athletes and advancement of the game. So if it means sitting down with a rival coach and, and talking strategy and helping him help his guys, that's great. I want to be able to call up the rival coach too and say, Hey, you ran something that I love. I think that could help my guys. I want to do that too. I, I think that's hysterical, and I see I see Mark with a little grin on his face because that's exactly what he will do as well, um, and with good reason because he, he's he's a great coach. Um, and so let me pass it to him because I know he's got another question for you. So Elliot, one of the things that I think uh, a lot of you know, it, you know, I guess fans of New York City basketball don't realize is is you know we know about the Catholic league and the public school league. And some of us, you know, watch a lot of, you know, even private school, but there's the yeshiva high school league. Um, and, you know, a few guys over the years, you know, make it onto a, you know, the university's roster. Um, could you just talk maybe about that for a little bit? Like what, what, what do you see? What, you know, do you guys, you know, occasionally recruit there, but, and what, what's the feeling? What, what, what should people know about, the yeshiva high school league in new york city so we're, ta we're talking about keep, keeping it close to the vest I, you know i don't mind sharing like all my uh you know offenses and defenses but 
that's like my recruiting waters right there. No, <laughs> I'm messing. But there, there are some kids who can really, really play. And, and it's funny. It's, um, you know, we, 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 there's always this rivalry between the New York, New Jersey uh, Jewish day schools or yeshivas and, um, and the out-of-town schools, right? The out-of-town Jewish day schools. Because mm-hmm. um, the out-of-town schools don't have enough Jewish schools usually in their area where they have their own league, right? So in, in New York and New Jersey, there's, a, there's what's called the Metropolitan Yeshiva High School Basketball League, uh, which is all Jewish day schools throughout New Jersey. I think, I think there might even be a Connecticut school in there, but it's mostly New York and New Jersey. Um, I would say there's probably in somewhere in the mid-20s in terms of the amount of schools, maybe, maybe a few more. Um, and they have, they have a, they, it's a great league. I mean, it happens to be very, very competitive. People are really into it. There's websites that follow it. There's rankings for it. Um, and there's obviously out of town schools as well, but they all play in their whatever public school league that they, you know, or private school league that they fit into from a size perspective. And the arguments are, are, are crazy. Like, you know, there's, especially now with social media, like when I was playing, you never knew what was going on in LA with the Jewish schools because there was no, I don't even remember if there was barely email. It wasn't, you know, never mind like websites and, and social media. Now, like these kids all know what's going on across the country. Um, and there's, oh, we play in a private school league. So our league is better than yours. And, you know, I've now from recruiting gotten to see enough around the country of, of where these teams are all playing. The, the Yeshiva League is on par with any league that any of the other schools are playing with outside of New York. Now, I'm not saying it's catholicly material and I'm not saying they can go play with with IMG or uh, or uh, or Oak Hill or, or any of those schools that, you know, that's that's not where I'm going. But they're they're very much a strong league that I think are, has, you know, it, it's interesting I'm not, I'm not sure there's a lot of D1 players that level-wise that come out of there. I think there's probably, you know, every, every few years, there's probably a kid who's got that ability, you know, in some sport, whether it's, you know, basketball or another sport. But, you know, there's a lot of kids that are D2, D3 level players that are college basketball players that are in that league mm-hmm. um, that, you know, probably don't get looked at, uh, which, is, which is, you know, I mean, interesting. It, it used to be a thing that was good for us. Now I feel like, you know, especially like I talked about with the advancement of, of, of basketball and, and, and athletes, I think it's a bad thing because we're turning so many guys down right now, um, you know, because we're just, we're getting interest from higher level kids that are, you know, sometimes in that league, sometimes across the country, sometimes that are public school kids, you know, whatever it is. But yeah, it's, it's a very, it happens to be, I, it was, if I ever left coaching in college, I'd go right back to that league in a heartbeat. It was so much fun to be a part of wow that's that's great and um i i do have to say that uh my last coaching spot up in uh section one i did have uh solomon Schechter in the league or well the lafell school now um right. uh, i'm sorry i did beat them three times but um <laughs> <laughs> i just had to throw that in there um you did talk a little bit um about your offense and i'm not going to let you um get out of here without talking about it um you know, I did, as you mentioned, you, you were you studying Bobby Knight and, you know, his motion offense, but you're playing a lot of it through the post. You know, um, Bobby Knight didn't play most, as much of it through the post as, as you are. I mean, he had the back cuts, um, you know, yep. and, and, and the pin downs and the back screens, you know, um, but yours is different. So can you, can you talk a little bit about... Um, the rules or the principles that you have for for this offense so they're very adaptable and 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 i think you're right you know i i think but i think a lot of it's personnel um it just happens to be especially right now where where we have the kid lifer who's who's playing a lot in the post for us uh gave lifer and um you know he's 
you know, everyone likes to say he's the best passing big man in D3. He's the best passer in D3, period. Um, and, you know, the, the kid's practically averaging a double, uh, triple-double. I mean, he averages a double-double, but he, he's about eight or nine assists a game. Um, he, you know, we had another kid last year, Donnie Katz, uh, another big kid who played in the post who was a great passer as well. Um, we have another, another kid this year, Matan Zucker, who's becoming a very good passer. So it just happens to be personnel-wise, we have guys – who really, really create well, and obviously, you know, our all American, our first team All American, Gabe's also an All American, but Ryan Threll, who who gets himself down in the post as a guard as well at six seven, um, and passes extremely well. We have just unselfish guys who can catch in there. They can make a move to the basket, but they can also see the whole court from there. And uh, and because we have that, um, it, you know, we've we've kind of moved our you know our motion to kind of focus on getting that pass in there. And, and, you know, we, we don't have, we don't have any rules. We don't like to call it rules. We'll call it principles because, you know, rules can't be broken. Um, you know, principles can kind of be bent and it just kind of gives us a framework, you know, like for example, um, from, from, from a screening standpoint, we always want to screen middle out. So it's always the, 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 the principle is that our screener is the guy who's closest to the midline. And if he's setting a down screen, then obviously he's, he's screening the guy who's outside and below him. And if he's setting a back screen, then he's, you know, he's screening the guy who's outside and above him. But what does that take out with, with something with, with our offense, especially where we're shooting 41% from three, you're, you're, you're all of a sudden you're killing flare screens, right? Because that's actually coming from the outside in. Um, so that's why we would call it a principle, right? And so even, even from a, one of, one of the, so even from that perspective, one of the principles that we've put in over the last couple of years, having the personnel that we did was that we want to get a post touch, at least one post touch on every possession, if not two. So we'll, when we drill this stuff at practice, we'll do what we call two plus one or three plus two or three plus one, um, based on the possession. And, and what that is, is ball reversals and post touch. So if we're, let's say running five on O's into five on five, and we're going down on that side of the court, we, we got to do two plus one on the five on O side. And maybe we're doing three plus one on the five on five side where we got to get three ball reversals and a post touch before we're allowed to shoot the ball. And we're just trying to drill those guys on what I think has become the two most important principles in our offense, which is ball reversal and post touches, uh, because we've found that, you know, from, we, we, we chart our shooting percentages based on ball reversal. So what we've, what we've found over the last four years, when we don't, when we don't reverse the ball, we shoot in about the 45% range, which is not bad. That's probably where an average college team shoots, which you know, we happen to have good shooters. But we, you know, if we don't reverse the ball, we shoot about 45%. When we reverse the ball once, we shoot about 51%. And when we reverse the ball twice, we shoot 60%. So I can't explain why we're not shooting 60% from the field. I guess it's because at the end of the day, they're still kids and they can't, you know, like, cause if it was an adult and, you know, somebody who really understood how, how, how simple it is that we're able to shoot 60% from the field when we reverse it twice, we would never have a possession where we don't reverse the ball twice. But obviously we do because, you know, like, like Coach Skelton said before, you're not perfect. We're not shutting anybody out and we're not scoring every single time down court. Um, you know, but, you know, we do by usually midway towards the end of the season, we get to a point where we're good enough and disciplined enough that we're getting more, you know, more two ball reversal possessions than, than zero or one. Um, and that's why our, you know, shooting percentages over the last couple of years have kind of been able to creep up into the, into the 50s. And you, so how are you – adapting this motion um, to a zone offense or what, what's, what's different then? 
it's it's not terribly different. You know, it, what what happened in you know when we when we started it and we when we started running it, the first few times that we would see zone, it would always kind of throw us off. Um, you know, because guys were just kind of trying to figure out where to go, what to sc- how to screen, and and you revert back into that you know, classic, like high school mentality of, Hey, let's just pass the ball back and forth, make the zone move. And then we're going to eventually just, you know, toss up a three. Now, if you're playing in high school with no shot clock, you can do that for a minute and a half. And eventually you're probably going to get a good look. Uh, when you're playing with a shot clock, it becomes a little bit more difficult, but also you're, you know, you're dealing with college athletes on the other side and, you know, it's not so simple to just move them. Uh, you know, so it, the principles remain the same. It's just, you're kind of you're, you're now screening almost sometimes you're screening a space as opposed to a man because you're screening the spot that the man's going to come to. Um, you know, so number one, we will, we will then obviously our, our post play becomes much more of a high post play uh, where we kind of get that ball into the middle and allow, you know, I, I, I can't, I'm not sure I can find a game that we could go back to in the last year and a half where a team zoned us for a whole game that Gabe Lifer didn't have a triple double. Um, almost any game where a team zoned us for a full game, he would have a triple-double because he'll just literally catch at the high post and just pick you apart. Um, and what will happen is as you work off that, right, you get the ball to the high post, now the whole defense is automatically contracted. Now you start to get your flare screens in. And you don't have to screen a man. You can have a guy running from the left side of the court to the right side of the court, and you're not going to screen his man because his man ain't following him. So what you're doing is you're ending up screening the back end of that zone, and then everybody's got to shift. So as long as you constantly have your, and, and, you know, and, and the same idea with the, you know, people like to get dribble penetration in the zone. You don't have to have dribble penetration in the zone. You have to have penetration in the zone. So your penetration can be without the ball too. So if we're getting the ball to the high post, that's penetration right there. If we pass the ball back out and then our guy cuts through and somebody else fills the high post, that's penetration again. So as long as we're continuing to screen the zone and get penetration through the zone and we keep them moving at the end of the day, we're going to find an advantage off of the ball reversal on the other side of the court. That's interesting. And, and um, just the episode before you, we had uh, Matt Kingsley on from, from Yale and he was talking about how he's, his approach to zone is attacking it from, from the baseline, you know, from that short corner and you're attacking from the high yep. post. Yeah. High post and, and well, um, the truth is high, we really are high post into short corner. Those are the, really the two main spots we talk to our guys about are high post and short corner. Uh, we just like to get at the high post first because we just, you know, we have a guy there who just feels comfortable. And then, you know, we'll like to flash guys into that short corner spot and then flare them out to the corner if they're a shooter. Let me pass it over to uh, Coach Green. Um, you tapped into a little bit. Um, what's on your uh, white boy before the game, halftime? Like, what are your goals? You started talking about uh, – you know, reversals and how many threes you're getting and stuff like that. Would it like in high school, I get, I, I don't want more than three turnovers a quarter, stuff like that. What, it, what is on your board? So we, we used to come in and, you know, I would say a couple of years ago, I used to, I used to go in before every game, I would put up on the board before the game, you know, the starters for the team, a couple of, um, a couple of notes from the scout about each of them. Um, I would put up, you know, from a team perspective, what they like to do so if, if we feel they're a strong offensive rebounding team then you know we're, we're making sure our guys are focused on the defensive side of the ball in terms of you know protecting the glass and rebounding um, if they're if they're a team that we feel we can run on then you know we want to make sure we're setting pace of the game and we'll put that up on the board as a focus um, but but what I started to realize over the last couple of years is that you know we, we put out our scout and we talked to our guys about it obviously and and we have you know we have we have our coaches available to kind of discuss it with them before the game from an individual standpoint i have started to feel like that pregame and i'll talk about halftime in a second but that pregame um kind of meeting and 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 talking 
you can you can you can talk too much like they're not focused at that point on the like minutia of what's going on you know that preparation has to be done beforehand if they're not oh prepared, i'm sorry coach no i mean like your numbers not the other team's numbers like what you want to do no i know i i, I know okay, Again, I'm sorry. So I, no that's okay and my, my point is like we used to put up the goals of what we want to do so we, we would we would put all that stuff up so for example if we felt we were playing a team that was slower than us we'd put up that we want to get a certain amount of points on the fast break you know, or, or we want to, you know, we want to win the rebounding. We want to re win the rebounding. Uh, we want to have the rebounding margin in our favor by, you know, X rebounds, right? We, we want to hold that team to six offensive rebounds when they're averaging 12, um, you know, stuff like that. But what, what I started to realize that is, is that we want to kind of get that stuff in, in practice and, and prior to the game. Once we get into that game mode, I'd, it's almost like I'd rather my guys get shots up than listen to me talk. Or, or read goals off of the off the whiteboard because they're tuned out. They're they're tuned into the game and they're kind of tuned out of what you're saying. And at that point, to me, it becomes more like just management of of management of their mentality. Um, and then you know, occasionally shouting something out if a guy comes in off the bench that has that has you know something on a scout that we want them to know that they may not remember. Um, it just becomes more game management. And, and it's the same thing for me at halftime, right? We, halftime. We we played um, we played St. Joe's Connecticut about two weeks ago, all right? And they're they're a top twenty five team. They don't have top twenty five this year. It's top fifteen, but they're a top twenty five team. Had had there been full rankings this year, they were in the in the tournament last year. I think they won twenty something games in a row. Uh, Jim Calhoun is 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 their head coach over there from uh, from Connecticut. So so we we went and, uh, we went to their place and played them after we had beaten them in our place. We're down eight at halftime, and we just looked terrible. We weren't scoring. We weren't defending. We just did not look good. And we come out in the second half, and we – I don't know what the final score was. We won by, like, ten points. So we, we really just, like, turned it. And, you know, it was – the second half was basically a blowout. It just happened to be that we started from behind. And after the game, you know, our, our student broadcast and, and, and any media – you know, the, the, the phone calls and the text, great halftime adjustments, Coach. You know, brilliant halftime adjustments. The one guy who actually realized that, you know, that we did nothing and, and, and Coach Calhoun happened to unfortunately not have been at the game because he, he, he had, I think, hurt himself or something like that. But the, um, their, 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 their associate head coach, who was a D1 coach himself for, for, for many years, um, and, uh, you know, he, I listened to his post-game interview and, and he talked, and it was very nice how he talked about our guys, but, you know, one of the things he talked about was how our, our body language never changed. You know, we were down eight, we were struggling. We came out in the second half and we went back up, but our body language never changed throughout. But more importantly, he, what he said, and he nailed it, it's like they didn't make a single halftime adjustment. All they did was refocus on what they do. And that's all it was. Like it's, it's, sometimes you're just playing like psychologists at halftime or before the game and you're just managing egos and you're, and you're managing guys who get nervous. And, and at halftime, if you're not playing well, you're just trying to change the mentality, change the confidence level and, and kind of get the guys to focus on the things that we already do in practice. So we do all our work in practice. I feel like in a game, all I'm doing is repeating myself. Oh, that's great. Too many times during, during the game and, you know, especially if you're down, you're going in there, you have um... – the 10 minutes on the clock uh, for us in high school or in the PSAL, four minutes. It depends on what referee you get, um, you know, and, and you're thinking, oh, what do I need to change? What do I need to change? You know, instead of just, you know, no, just focus on what you do because, you know, um, I can say for the, you know, all of us sitting here at the round table, what we do is pretty good, you know, and, and you know, our, our overall records will, will, will show that. 
Mark Skelton, I know, I know you have another question. Oh, so Elliot, you know, it's a, you know, obviously it's a strange world, strange time, but there's just the, with your winning streak and the press that you guys have been doing, and then this unfortunate incident with Myers Leonard. And, you know, I, I think there is, um, you know, there in, and obviously you got traded this, 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 this week. So I was just wondering, like, how is a team and you and the community, you know, dealt with anti-Semitism? Because this is a, this is a, you know, instead of, you know, kind of silencing, you know, this, or maybe people are trying to cancel him, um, you know, you know, we know that anti-Semitism is not going away, but I feel like, you know, uh, basketball is this bridge. And this is a, you know, and I'm sure your guys face it, um, you know, uh, you know, microly or macroly, you know, overtly. Um, <clears throat> so what, what's, what's your take on, on this the last couple of weeks? You know, I'd love to hear it. Thanks. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give you my take on the last couple of years, actually. So it's, it's interesting. It, it used to be, um, you know, we would always talk to our guys. And it's something that we address because it is something we deal with. Uh, now, I will say um, when I was a player at Yeshiva, you know, 20 years ago, we would deal with it on the court. Um, from players, from coaches, it was, I mean, we, we had our share of fights and, you know, look, I mean, we had Israeli army guys with us, you know, on the team. So, you know, he didn't really want to fight us, but, uh, you know, some teams, some teams tried it, but it, you know, it was, it was a much, I think, bigger Did problem then. Krav Maga at halftime. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, we, we, we had our share of issues, but, you know, I, I have to say from, from that standpoint, I have in my six or seven years now, I guess, coaching at Yeshiva, have not experienced any of that on the court, nor have my players. So we have not had that from other players or coaches, which is a big step and, and, and certainly, you know, is, is very encouraging. We do experience it from the stands and from fans. Um, you know, that, that does happen. And it's not, it's not often, but it, it does happen. And, and when, when I started, I remember we would address it every year before, you know, before the season with the guys in our preseason meeting and talk about being the bigger person and staying quiet and just not picking a fight and ignore what you hear and just play the game. And then about, I think it was about a year, two years ago, there were, there were a string of anti-Semitic attack, violent anti-Semitic attacks in, in New York, um, in the Bronx. I think there was, there was one actually in, um, in Jersey City right before we played Jersey City. We actually had a very, very nice uh, pregame moment where we, you know, had, we did the national anthem together, you know, with teams standing together uh, for that game, uh, which, which was great. Um, but there was, there was, a, it was, there was, a, there was an attack, I think, in, uh, in, in Muncie. There was a couple attacks in the Bronx. There was just a lot going on. And at that point, I remember, you know, we, we talked about it as a team. And I said, you know what, guys? I'm done with the being a bigger person. If you hear something come out of the stands in a game, I want you to call timeout. And I want you to tell me because we'll stop the game. Because it's not, there's, it's not a time anymore to be silent about it. You know, there's no, and it's not, and by the way, it's not just anti-Semitism. It's racism in any form. There was an attack this week against the Asian community. Um, you know, the black community has dealt with far more than their share of attacks over the years, whether it's from positions of authority or from, or from people who are just plain racist. Um, and, and then obviously our community, the Jewish community experiences it as well. And it's just not a time to be silent against hate in any regard. Um, you know, I've, I've tailored my social media towards it a little bit. I put things out over the, 
over the past few years where, where, I've, where I've spoken up about it. Um, and it was something that I discussed with our players. And I said, I, we, I am very willing to embarrass another school and another team if it's something that comes out. And I don't care if it's out of the stands. I don't care if it's a player. I don't care where it's coming from. If it happens, I want a timeout called and I want it dealt with in the middle of the game. Uh, and if it's not, I got a 36-game winning streak. If you told me in my next game that that came in, I said, I will walk off the floor and forfeit the game. I could care less. There are certain things that are just much bigger than the sport and much bigger than basketball. Um, I'm a big proponent of what you said, which is, you know, kind of athletes always lead the way. And whether it's right or wrong, our athletes at the pro level are always looked at as, uh, as role models, some of them deserving, some of them not. Um, you know, and, and to a smaller and lower level extent, the athletes in the college level and even at the high school level, they're role models. And if they're not role models, they're the more popular kid in, in, in their school. And they're the kid that people look up to. And they're the, kid that are, the kids that are an example for everybody else. So it starts and ends. At all, it always does. It starts and ends with people who are in a leadership position. And athletes are generally in a leadership position. So if we can teach our athletes how to handle that kind of adversity and, 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 and that kind of you know, bias or hate in a, in, a, in a way that sends a message, then I think we're doing a, you know, a positive thing for society in general. Wow. That's great. All of it. One, one last question. Sure. Um, and you, you, know, you touched on it uh, a little bit about um, the success and getting it to the national level. You know, obviously, you, you have the 6-6 six, six now. We mentioned you know, a few times with the, about the, with the winning streak and you know, where you are at, at number three in the country now. Um, but what do you need to do as a program or as a university, you know, as, as a team to to get to the next level that to where you want to go. So uh, we, we have three goals every day. Now, this is, this is me skirting the question of, uh, of uh, what you want me to say, which is we got to win the national championship. And, and that's what we want to do. There's no doubt. Um, that, that is our goal. That's what we wanted to do last year. We felt like we were on our way and we were playing good ball. We felt like we had that shot this year and we're going to feel like we have that shot next year, hopefully too. But that said, we, we have three goals that we talk about with our guys that, kind of transcend what the season is. So even in a year like this where there's no postseason, all three goals still apply. Even last year, it was, you know, where the season ended the way it did, those goals still applied. And, and then it becomes about just, you know, the disappointment you handle with perspective, right? The perspective on what's going on in the real world. Um, and you kind of realize that uh, basketball is not so important. And, you know, the world has a way of showing us that every so often. And this pandemic is certainly one of them. Um, but we have three goals every day. The first goal is we want to get better every single day. So, you know, no matter what's going on, I, I, you know, I don't care what the season has in store. I want my guys and myself getting better every single day. So that, that sometimes means going into the gym and shooting for an hour. Sometimes it means hitting the weight room. Sometimes it just means going to the trainer and working on an injury. And sometimes it means watching game film as a player, as a coach, and trying to pick things up and learn something new. We want to get better every day. Second thing is we want to win every day, right? So whether, we, whether it's a game, whether it's a practice, whatever we're doing, if we have the opportunity to compete, um, whether it's a drill at practice or whether it's the biggest game of the year, we want to go out and try to win every single time we have the opportunity to win. And the third thing is to represent our university and, and the larger Jewish community because we, we, we are, you know, sort of a representative for that. Um, we want to represent that, you know, the university and the community with, with class uh, and, and in a positive way. And if we're accomplishing those three things, I think success will follow it. Um, and it has, you know, so far. But I think if we're if we're focused on those three goals, everything else kind of falls into place. 
uh, winning games and, 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 and conference championships and tournament games. I think all that stuff kind of follows behind those three goals. It's, it's almost coming from a, like a, a John Wooden perspective of just doing the best of what you're capable at, at that given moment. And that's what, uh, what success is. Um, Coach Elliott Steinmetz, thank you so much for your time. This was an amazing talk, and I appreciate it. Oh, of course, this was this is this stuff is most fun for me. I love doing this stuff, and I love getting to talk to other coaches and and get a chance to learn. And and you know, the best best way to learn is to get asked questions and and to hear other people's thoughts. So I appreciate you guys doing this. Yeah, and we didn't hit you with the little engine that could. So that's, that's right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Basketball Coaches Roundtable Podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at BCR Podcast Eleven.